Hello and welcome to The New Guys. I'm your host, Gabe Dunn. This is a show about trans stuff for trans guys and two trans guys host it. My co-host is here, River Butcher. Do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's a. It's a show about not not trans things too. You know, like not yeah. It's not things. not about trans yeah, it's stuff. Not, not and about also trans not. stuff. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm River, one of your hosts of this show. Uh, glad to be back. I do stand up. I'm a writer. I'm an actor, and I am also a 2023 World Series champion with my baseball team, Death. Uh, we won a couple weeks ago. Uh, this is our second championship. And my third personal one out of five years. So pretty solid numbers there. I know I how to manage pictures. a team it with so my fun. friends. It was Aww. really fun. It was a really wonderful experience. And maybe maybe on one of our Just Us episodes, I can go into it, Just Us Guys or something, because it was a really wonderful and healing experience uh, with my team. And I really love my team. It's really wonderful. I'm very grateful to be a part of it. And River's also a stand-up comedian. Oh, yeah. Thanks, I'm yeah. a a writer, filmmaker. If you it's the first time that you guys are here, uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, we're glad you're here. We have a wonderful guest uh, today. Uh, who's our guest today, Gabe? Our guest is Maze Felix, uh, who is someone that I saw in a short at Outfest, and I loved their vibe, and they're super... It's a very, like, healing and soothing episode. Yeah, um, And I also it. learned so much about the ASL community and yes. it's just really great. Um, and I, if you want to, if you're like, gosh, I want to lay down and listen to something soothing. I feel like that's, that's the interview of this. This one is for the you. episode for you. Yeah, that's right. But we have, I think we have a listener question, right? Yes, we have a listener question. So this, and you can email us at the new guys podcast at gmail.com. Um, so this is a message from Cole. Hello, Gabe and river. My name is Cole, and I'm looking for advice on using public restrooms. I've been on tea for almost a year now, but I still get misgendered in public regularly. This makes it difficult if I have to use the bathroom if I'm out somewhere. I can usually find a unisex or family restroom, but I live in Ohio. Ding, 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 <laughs> wow. ding, ding, ding. Hello. This is an Ohio, Ohio-centric episode for reasons we'll get to later. So, there are plenty of places I go that only have gendered bathrooms. I was wondering at what point in your transitions you were all comfortable using the women, the men's room. Every time I think I'm ready, I get misgendered and lose all of my confidence. Thanks for any advice you can give and for making this podcast, Cole. Uh, well, I mean, I, I can go for it. What's up, Cole? Good to see you. Um, <laughs> we'll hear you act technically. But um, yeah, I it's a, a I guess I would just say like, you know, hang in there, buddy. You know, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Like, I, I relate. I get it. Um, I, I have not been misgendered in the men's restroom because I did not use it until I had like facial hair or like that I had changed. I'm, I don't remember exactly when, I mean, I, I didn't have the amount of facial hair that I have now. Yeah. Um, but there was like, there was a physical moment where I, I remember I was going into spaces and people were addressing me with male things like buddy bro boss things like that <laughs> was happening on a regular basis and but before that started to happen i was just not going to the bathroom in public or using a unisex yeah. bathroom if there was one so i yeah li and, and part of this was during the pandemic so i actually didn't have to worry about it that much uh because i wasn't oh. out in the world that much and so i just want to offer that 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 had lined up for me so i i feel you and i'm sorry that that's happening but i do believe for you 
that, there will be a moment where that physical change switches over and you might, it might not, you know, like there's still times where like I misgendering is not off the table for me. Like, I just want to throw that out there. It's not like never going to happen again, but the majority of the time it doesn't happen, you know? Right. Um, and so I guess, and I had this experience speaking of baseball where I went to our game and there's a, you know, public sort of, you know, parks and rec style toilet. And I have a pee style that I carry with me most of the time. Oh, uh, that's but interesting. I've also gotten, cause I, I use the, I use the, um, uh, stalls. I don't use urinals with it. Cause like if somebody saw it, they would see it. And so right. I, I take that, especially when I'm like, you know, in company that I'm not sure of, because like, I'm actually comfortable sitting down to pee in men's restrooms. Like I'm like, if you want to give me, if you want to give me shit for that, that's on you, you know. Like and I, I, like I'll just be like, I, I don't. What's it to you, you know? Um, yeah. But I forgot it when I was at the baseball thing, and I would bring it for that because those toilets are disgusting. And basically, there was no stall that I could use. Some someone was mm-hmm. living in one, and then there was like actual poop on the other toilet. Oh God. So. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I guess this pee's probably going to leave, right? But then I have a teammate uh, who is also trans, and we actually haven't gotten to play together that much this season, but I was leaving the bathroom going, well, I guess I'll be all right. It'll probably work out. And he starts walking up, and I'm like, hey, man, this is the situation. How do you feel about watching out for each other using the women's restroom? And he was like, that sounds great. And I did not think I was going to have to do this again. So- I offer that story to be like, you just never know what's going to happen. I know that this is an issue of personal safety, so I don't dismiss that. And I, I'm sorry that you probably have to do uncomfortable things to stay safe. But I guess I just also offer that there is a future ahead and it continues to arrive. Yeah. And like, you just don't know. There, there might be a point where the attention that you have felt on yourself begins to dissipate because it took me some time to get used to being ignored in the bathroom because when Mm -hmm. I used the women's restroom even when I hadn't transitioned I was consistently an object of fear for Mm -hmm. other for women Mm -hmm. in that space and so I was carrying that experience around with me you know Mm -hmm. Um, and so that brought I, I had to process that myself so that was that's been my experience Gabe what's your experience I have an opposite thing where I just walk in with confidence. I yeah. I don't like and maybe you mean people opposite never... of Cole or opposite of me because I walk in with confidence now too. So I just want to. But throw I'm that saying out. that you you waited. <laughs> I'm saying that you waited until you had a a, a a reasonable assumption that people saw you as a guy. I I'm not yes. passing. I may never pass. Quote unquote pass. Whatever that means. Some people might never quote unquote pass. I just walk into the men's room. I just beeline right. in there. Yeah. I go There's in. Also that. If I if I sit down to pee, maybe I'm pooping. You don't know what I'm up to. Uh, I I have had the experience of being so annoyed that the stalls are taken, um, and being like, I wish I could pee in the urinal. But I just kind of I just because also it feels affirming because to me it's like if anybody sees me walk in, they go, Oh, okay, I know what that person is. Like they're I'm giving yeah, them yeah. clues. Totally. Um. So, uh, so I've just had the experience of just kind of not looking at anyone and just sort of beelining in there. Uh, I try, I, I still though, 
uh, have the superpower of if it's full, I get to run into the women's room or if the women's room is closer, (laughs) I get to use it. And that's my privilege. Um, Yeah. And uh, but at the same time, I am noticing that the women's room is becoming a little bit more fraught because my little mustache is coming in and I was at a place where women were dressed up and they were mostly wearing dresses and I was wearing a suit and I went into the women's room and I was like, oh, I stand out here. Um, Mm -hmm. But I... I just sort of I don't use a, a P style. What do you call it? It the brand is it's the letter P and style, and it's not oh, trans specific. It's just it's a just a plastic device that was designed for anybody who sits to pee to stand to pee, and like wow, I love it because I don't have to sit on a disgusting toilet. You know that like, is cool. The, so I, it it offers me that. I also get a lot of gender euphoria from standing to pee. I right. also don't like carrying shit around, <laughs> which is right. part of my like gender stuff. Like I don't like bags. I don't like having a bunch of stuff. I don't like it. So it's always a balance of like like I'll take it to a Dodger game because I'm gonna be there for a long time. I take it what? to things. Oh, yeah. I take it on the on a to uh, an airport bathroom because there's lots of stalls and I can you know do it there. But like I don't carry it with me everywhere um, mm-hmm. because I just forget sometimes. You know. Mm-hmm. So there's also that. And I just want to throw in uh, before we like wrap up. I learned and I don't think I mentioned it on this podcast. Uh, a new phrase that I am using in place of quote unquote passing. Cause we always say quote oh, okay. unquote passing, which is that I am low disclosure. Oh, I've never heard that. And so like it puts it, it just, for me, it puts the experience back into my hands and like my experience as what opposed to doing. the way people perceive me. And then that's my privilege thing, which I'm not denying either, but, I am like low disclosure that like I I actually get to choose who and when I talk about it, you know. Um, Interesting. And I don't do that in a men's public restroom typically. Wow. <laughs> uh. So yeah, I mean, you're also great point, Gabe. That like, yeah, I don't know that that actually that you will quote unquote pass or become low disclosure or whatever it is, but I do think that there is a power in going into the spaces in which we want to be with the confidence to be there because folding consistently and living under the fear that they want us to live under is what they want us to do. So there's, there's also that. And I, I do believe that there is something looking out for us or else we wouldn't be here, (laughs) you know, as trans people, (sighs) you know? So it's like, uh, I don't know, you know. So I, I mean, I, I truly wish you the best. Hats help. I don't know, <laughs> you know. And just Hats walking help. in somewhere ah. with confidence is like can be part of the thing, you know. So luckily, an interesting thing is that trans guys going into the men's room has less of a fraught, uh, yes. public discourse than trans women going into the women's room. So we have that going for us. Yeah, and but I would also say that the. Yes, 100% and not dismissing that. Also adding that trans men going into the women's restroom is also Also somehow part of the discourse. So we are just sort of put into this whole thing because nobody really understands what they're saying and they're just scared of people's body parts, apparently. Um, And so, you know, like, 
Yeah, I, I like I was just in Toronto and I went to a game and the men's room was like it was very strange. Like when you walked in, you you got a view of a person peeing, like front uh, frontal view, and I was uh, like, this is very weird. And there was not enough stalls, and I just was like, certainly there's another option. And I found they had us an all purpose bathroom, which I appreciated. Oh. It was like. It didn't for, say all for gender. Phone calls. For well, it was for nursing, changing, and it was yeah. for changing babies, and it was also for uh, uh, di- uh, disabled people, and then nice. also had a an all gender inclusive sign on it. So I actually liked that it was like all purpose, as opposed to it's for you gender freaks, because yeah. like sometimes when that they have that bathroom and it's an option, it's not the only thing. Because I've been to places where they have just all gender and that's better because I feel like it puts a target on my back going Mm -hmm. into an all gender bathroom when it's specifically that and it's only one of them where people are like oh look at that weirdo or whatever Mm -hmm. Uh, which I also will willingly wear but I'm like that's maybe not the vibe you know it's like (laughs) so I don't know I don't mean to complicate this more Um, I'm ready to get into uh, Maze's interview I feel like maybe that will be very healing for Cole as well but we, uh, yes. I wish you much love with this, with your bathroom journey. And uh, and stick around because we have a great interview with Maze Felix coming up right now. Hello, we are back at the new guys, um, and I'm excited because we have someone uh, that's like a new person that I've met only a few times and and pretty recently, but saw perform and it was very very cool. Um, so welcome, Maze Felix, to the podcast. Thank you. Hi everyone. <laughs> Hi Maze. Nice to meet you. So, do you want to tell our audience like who you are and what you? sort of identify as doing me and river always start the show identifying as stuff. And that could be anything river likes to say baseball players. So. <laughs> we love labels. Um, hi, I'm Mace Felix. My pronouns are they, them. I'm a queer trans non-binary API Chinese transracial adoptee. I'm also an actor, um, a writer an ASL interpreter. And I'm also a really proud Guinea pig dad. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I take that identity very seriously. Nice. If anything, probably the most serious. <laughs> How many guinea pigs do you have? I currently have one guinea pig, but I've had 10 throughout my entire life what? since I was three or four years old. So wow. everything about guinea pig care, guinea pig TLC, I've got, I got you. Wow. So question. why guinea pigs? Well, yeah. Why guinea pigs? Well, I mean, it was... <laughs> I love how this podcast has now turned towards guinea pigs. Yeah, um, we'll start there and then we'll get into the other stuff. (laughs) Um, Guinea pigs are perfect pets, but um, my parents' family friend, they just gifted us a guinea pig one time when I was a kid. And since then, it's always been a really – it's less um, maintenance than a dog and a cat, but more maintenance than a turtle per se. Mm. And I've, I had always wanted a pet when I was younger. And ever since we had my first one, which was named Tuxedo, I would, you know, not grieve as a kid and immediately replace it. Um, and then I got my fourth guinea pig, which is Frida, who I currently have now. And no, it was my, she was my third. I lose track of them, honestly. (laughs) Um, her name is Frida Kahlo and we got 
a second one um, with her named Juarez. And Juarez was pregnant at the time and didn't I did not know that. So I actually like raised a litter as well. Wow. She had five babies on her own. And um, that pretty much I thought I was going to stop at five. And then when she had five babies, I was like, well, I've reached 10. <laughs> so now I just have Frida. Did you give them away? Is that like what happened with the the little babies? Found good homes? Yeah. So I, um, just during COVID and also I used to live in, I grew up in Ohio. And oh, I knew that me I was too. We're to, in Ohio. Really? Oh my yeah. gosh. Um, I grew up in Cleveland, but then went to school at Ohio State in Columbus. So I lived there for about eight years. Oh, okay. I'm from, I'm from Akron and I went to the University of Akron and yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Just, that's like Cleveland, Cleveland neighbors. That's right. Thank you for saying Whoa. Cleveland neighbors. I thought maybe you were going to say Cleveland small or Cleveland light. And I was like, nope, we're very different things. <laughs> we are very, very different. different Neither like to claim the other. That's right. I, that's, that is like the funniest thing to me. One of the funniest things about LeBron is that I, I feel like nobody says this anymore, but people would be like, so you're from Cleveland. And he's like, no, I'm from Akron. I played for Cleveland. And it's like the most Northeastern Ohio thing to say. I right. feel like, you know, that like, no, I'm not from Cleveland at all. Exactly. <laughs> we don't dislike each other. It's just that we're not, it's like saying two brothers are the same person. It's like, well, we're not, we're two separate people. <laughs> you know? Exactly. We like our autonomy and 100%. it's kind of, it reminds me of um, when I first moved to Los Angeles, um, I was that person who thought Orange County was Los oh. Angeles. Oh, and yeah. so I visited <laughs> and um, I had never stepped foot in LA or Southern California before. Um, and just like Cleveland and Akron, Orange County and Los Angeles have the same relationship. That's right. Very, very different places. Yeah. So what brought you out here? Yeah, I mean, several things. Um, so acting, and then also I had gotten um, my second degree in ASL interpreting. Mm. And um, I had gotten more involved with the queer and BIPOC community within like the ASL and deaf community. And there was a lot more resources for me and the identities that I hold on coastal areas. And California mm -hmm. was one of them. So as acting and interpreting started to intersect with one another, um, that just kind of really motivated me to move. Um, I was going to move to San Francisco. And then for about two years, I had that decision. And in November of 2021, um, I still was moving to California, but I, I decided to move to LA and I had never visited LA ever. And the day I moved to LA, which was January of 2022, that was the first day I had ever visited. And wow. I've been here ever since. Welcome. Whoa. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Just for a quick backup, you found homes for the guinea pigs? <laughs> I, oh, yeah. <laughs> I also have ADHD, so my stories will go. <laughs> no, no. Yes, I did. Um, I, I rehomed them to some of my friends. So all of them went to people that I know and were guinea pig family-in-law. Love Great. it. Love it. So what do you mean that ASL started dovetailing with acting? Um, so I, not necessarily where I do ASL and acting together, but, um, ASL is one of my degrees and then acting was a passion that I wanted to get into. And, um, 
with ASL, there was, I was going, I was in a period of my life where I was struggling a lot with different parts of my identities, um, gender and cultural, um, Mm -hmm. particularly. And with my cultural identity, I found a lot of API community and BIPOC community within um, the ASL and deaf community in California. And at the same time, separate from ASL, I kind of leaned into acting as a new passion and craft and something that I also wanted to do as a career. Um, And that also kind of gave me access to the trans visibility and access in that community and here in LA and in California that there's so many more resources and community here than there is in Ohio. Yeah. I mean, I relate to that, (laughs) you know, for, for like, you know, different, different reasons, I guess, but also very similar ones, you know, um, that like it, it, and it's sometimes, and I mean, you have this experience a little bit more recently, but like, you know, people, often ask me about Ohio and like, I have a lot of love for that place. Like I'm happy to be from there in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it's like now. I haven't lived there in quite some time, but like you're saying, like I needed something else. <laughs> Essentially. Right. It's like, it's not like it wasn't good enough. And it's not like it, it, it cause there are actually a lot of queer people in uh, Akron. There's like always been an external scene there but mm-hmm. you know i think at, just as humans and for and not to dismiss but actually just like to essentialize each of our specific experiences we have to each go on our own journeys with those things and like continuing to seek that um and to have you know such a uh you know you're speaking on such a uh like like vibrant and expansive you know it's not just one thing Mm-hmm. Um, it's these many things that led you to where you are now is like, I think so important to each of us. Then we can sometimes find it where we are, but sometimes not, <laughs> you know, sometimes yeah. it's just not the case. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, um, I was talking the other day to someone about, um, both Ohio as just the community and the place that I grew up with and also, um, relating that to dysphoria and how both mm. of them are kind of like that. <laughs> family member that extended family member that is not your favorite but like you still visit from time to time because Mm -hmm. they're family and so you love it but it just it's not something that you find yourself interacting with on a regular basis right um so yeah um very i share very similar sentiments where ohio will always be a home that i lived in um and the people that i have found are so incredibly special, but mm-hmm. the community and where I feel seen and safe is somewhere else. And that happens mm-hmm. to be here. Yeah. Can you talk a bit about the, why the ASL community is so like broad and diverse and what just, I'm so, I've never heard anyone talk about it the way that you just did. Yeah. Um, can you specify that question? Mm-hmm. Like what, what is the ASL community here? Like that's different from other places. Yeah, I mean, particularly with my experience, um, I'm um, adopted and from China, and I grew up with Caucasian parents, white parents, and so I grew up not understanding that um, I was growing up in a very um, white-centered community and culture, and as a person of color, um, I didn't necessarily have the same 
resources and tools for me to navigate the world as a person of color. And then being in Ohio, Midwest Ohio, where most people are white, I was not surrounded by people um, who looked like me and who could um, teach me about how the world is to be like me in my own skin and body. Um, And in um, conjunction, I was also kind of coming to terms with my gender. So it was kind of um, a mind fuck, basically, um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) if I may use that language. Absolutely. Um, Yes. Uh, uh, Yes. um, Encouraged. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Yeah. Yeah, When I started to earn my degree with interpreting, um, I realized that as interpreter, as as we learn um, in interpreting, we are not only using the language for ourselves, we're using, we're using the language to facilitate communication between other people, our consumers. And so we're representing other people. And so when I encountered other Asian folks who, or even white folks who visibly saw me as an Asian person and would treat me as such, um, even though in my own experience growing up, um, I did not have white privilege, but I kind of grew grew up benefiting um, Mm. in some ways from white privilege because of my parents, because of the lifestyle I had, because of who I was surrounded by. And so I was not prepared um, to have those experiences as an Asian person when I got older. Mm. Um, And it was, it was a culture shock for me. Um, I experienced a lot of um, internalized racism um, and again at the same time internalized transphobia for myself and um, when I connected with the ASL community in Ohio the queer community in generally the um, ASL community is very queer friendly and so mm. the ASL community in Ohio was actually the first so- one of the first um, I would say that maybe the second one solid, queer community um, that I found and that I was a part of, but it was the first gender expansive community Mm. that I really found. And through ASL, especially during our program, we had to learn how to interpret anything and everything um, as interpreters. And so there were topics about gender and that's where I learned the language Mm. about gender. I, through school, through the degree that I was um, earn, getting, I learned so much about something that about myself. Um, mm. And so it, it helped me come to terms with who I was while also just being a student. Mm. Um, and I kind of, I, I craved more um, both with gender and with culture. And my um, instructor at the time connected me with folks in the Bay Area who are my chosen family now. Mm-hmm. And they, those folks in the Bay Area, they connected me with the national API community, um, deaf and interpreting community. And I visited them periodically. And, and just by being with them and existing with them, I kind of learned how to be Asian in a white world, but also having such um, a white-centric experience. Um, and because it was such a queer 
community and gender expansive community, they connected me with other gender expansive folks within the ASL and deaf community. Mm. And that actually led me to um, kind of pursue top surgery because I finally mm-hmm. found folks who had accesses and access and resource to um, things that I never knew existed. And I actually had top surgery in San Diego. Um, mm-hmm. I flew from Ohio, stayed in San Diego and, um, for about a month. And so uh, so many things have happened for me, both mm-hmm. with culture and language and gender, just in California. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that includes San Francisco, San Diego, and right. Los Angeles. Like you got the three big cities down. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say California is really it for you. It's really offered a lot for you. <laughs> It really has. It, it's, it's, I'm don't take that for granted at yeah. all. That's really beautiful. Yeah, Thank it you. really is. And, and I'm, I'm curious of, of many things, but, um, can you speak a little more specifically about, you know, that your sort of, it sounds like your entrance into ASL and, and ASL inter- interpreting, uh, mm-hmm. and like learning the sort of gender expansiveness within that. Can you speak like more specifically about, like what sign language in its own specific experience, uh, how that was expansive, because I feel like I'm sure there's many people listening who have a depth of knowledge of ASL, but I'm I'm sure there's Mm -hmm. many people who are listening who don't, you know? And I think that I think, you know, as, as a white person, um, I thought I knew a lot about ASL, but I don't. And I, I you know, but I've I've begun to have new experience w- with it and new understanding and a deepening of it. Um, and so I think it might be helpful for people to hear like a more specific experience of, of what that language itself, because it's not just like signing is not just letters, you know, like right. it sometimes yeah. is, but it um, more these days and and it is expanding and growing and has been for a long time is uh has its own dialects it has its own so like that's um what i'm curious of what your actual specific experience of maybe even examples of that would be yeah um i'm happy to share kind of my personal experience and also recognize that that language is not my native language so it's even as an interpreter um, and as someone who's been welcomed into the community, it is not my um, like personal community. It's not my culture. It's not my language. So I want to just preface that um, that belongs to the deaf community still. Mm-hmm. But Thank yeah, you. I I learned so much from from deaf folks. Uh, I, yes, the language itself is not universal. So being able to um, see how um, sign language is represented in um, different communities visually. And like you said, it's not just letters. There's so many different aspects of um, sign language and um, specifically ASL that um, goes into that language. So just with English, like how there are idioms or um, how there are different dialects, there are different dialects, um, and cultural nuances that, um, are included within the language and and community of, of the deaf community and ASL. Um, but I learning from community members there, um, honestly helped me learn that like language also isn't binary. (laughs) Um, you know, there isn't 
one way to express um, a certain sentiment. There are so many ways, um, especially when you are learning from a native signer, um, Mm -hmm. you always default to um, like their own expertise. And so every native signer has their own way of signing things. And so even within whoever you are interacting with, they are not the same. Um, There is no one or the other. So that itself is not binary. And being able to engage with those folks and folks who also just were um, outside the gender binary, just really, yeah, it expanded my my own use of language. Um, Yeah, if that's... (laughs) No, that's amazing. I mean, even what you said about when you're interpreting for someone, you're embodying them. You Mm -hmm. have to interpret with their personality or with Mm -hmm. with the ways in which they said something, which I had never thought of. Um, Yeah. And that must create a lot of ability to uh, empathize and also like, I can see how that would awaken something in yourself. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's um, that like exactly what you said, kind of um, embodying them in a way where it's not just the signs that you are signing with your hands. It's also the facial expressions, the body language. Um, Everything about ASL is the, is the visual aspect. So you are using your entire Mm. body, the space that you are in um, to share the language. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a trans non-binary person who was very dysphoric in my body, I struggled, um, at the very beginning to even move past just the, using the language with my, using my hands. Mm. And so that, that also gave me room to explore who I was and, and where I was in my body. Um, I, I wanted to. Oh, River, do you have something? Well, I was just going to point out that uh, I think it's interesting that you say trans non-binary. I think that mm-hmm. you know, uh, perhaps we're expanding as a as a culture. <laughs> I get population. I I personally hesitate to use the word community because I think it um it implies something. It, it, those when I say like I I don't like to say LGBTQ community because like. For me, that implies something that isn't really true, and it's often a word implied used by like allies and people who aren't LGBTQ to talk about us, you know. And so, I it just doesn't feel right to me necessarily. Um, so like for me, population is always a little more accurate, like because we are a population of people. Um, and I think it allows for us to be where we are also in relationship to other people. Um, so all that is to say. I'm I'm using all these words to be like, it's interesting to me and um, I don't know, inviting to me that you are, you know, you identify as trans non-binary um, because those two things have uh, almost been separated out by the experience of them in, I feel, mainstream uh, culture, you know, which is often what happens you know these things are created within within community actually in community and then you know we used to use this phrase in group and out group and we don't really use that anymore but then they go to the out group and it it has uh many reactions which is like it's taken up by people who don't have that in group understanding 
And then sometimes it's expansive for people that didn't understand it before. So all that is to say, I'm curious where where and how you landed in, and and I guess just simply why <laughs> uh, you identify as trans non-binary, because I, I hear people often say this thing, which I'm sure, Maze, you've heard as well. I'm non-binary. I'm not trans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And or like, the other way yeah. around, where it's like, why are you saying trans non-binary? Non-binary is trans. Sure, right. yes, there's also mm-hmm. that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I yeah. guess I'm curious to hear that from you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is a huge, huge um, aspect to uh, just just everything that you said. I resonate and um, have had experiences with conversations. And um, one reason why I continue to, one of many reasons why I continue to kind of reclaim that term. Um, I am so proudly trans and I'm so proudly non-binary. I'm so proudly trans non-binary. And for <laughs> me, um, being trans non-binary is just being beyond, um, being more expansive and beyond the binaries of what gender and gender expectations are from mm-hmm. society and our culture. And, um, my transness is everything that I experience, um, beyond the binary. It's, it's being able to, explore and um, find that delicate balance between the femininity and the masculinity, mm-hmm. the way I live my life, the way I dress, the way I even just unmask about gender in mm-hmm. the world, um, who I'm surrounded by. And, and by just with like everything that I do, nothing is binary for me. I don't choose one or the other. I don't choose anywhere um, in between a quote unquote spectrum, it, I'm kind of existing in that cloud or galaxy. And because I can't, like, I don't fall in one specific space. Um, that's what non-binary is for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so pairing the two up, I really just, I love being able to explore that fluidity. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, very, very recently have thought about gender again and what gender fluidity means for me. Um, I have not come to that conclusion yet, but that is a new exploration for me because I don't feel like um, I do fall in a very specific place, but Mm -hmm. I am very, very, um, I do feel very grounded in being trans and yeah, I think even if I didn't have top surgery or if I wasn't on T, I'll be on T. It'll be two years this November that I've been on T. Um, even if I didn't have, thank you. Um, <laughs> even if I didn't have like any of those aspects, I still would feel so trans and so non-binary. Mm-hmm. Everything that you say is so soothing. I love. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Um, I wanted to ask about uh, the post on your Instagram about your top surgery. Yeah. Um, and it, it seemed, I'm reading it correctly, it seems like you did everything kind of in secret. I did. Um, it's wild to look back and, I mean, that was just three years ago. I had it in 
August of 2020, so mid-COVID. Oh my God. I flew from Ohio to San Diego, had top surgery pretty much all on my own. Um, I, I found a community of folks in San Diego through my ASL community, but the surgery itself I had to have on my own just because of the COVID precautions. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, like I have had um, a few major surgeries um, before. So the surgery itself wasn't anxiety inducing, but this was a really, really big moment for me. And in hindsight, I actually am very grateful that I got to experience the surgery part on my own um, because I think I really, really needed that time to let that sit, um, let that, for me to experience that um, euphoria mm. of when, of that in that entire experience. But yes, I did do it in secrecy. Um, if you met me three, four years ago, I would have been a very different person <laughs> um, with dysphoria, with internalized racism, with just being in an environment that was not conducive and supportive to who I am. Um, I was very rightfully angry and did not utilize and put my anger out in a very, I, I put my anger out in, into the world in a very ineffective way. And so, mm-hmm. but that was mostly because of self-hatred. And um, I was in a relationship that was not supportive to who I was either. And I decided um, also through the ASL, commu- ASL community, um, my teacher recommended different resources. And so top surgery was kind of one of them. Um, she was the per- first person I told And, um, I actually just, I put up, I started a secret Instagram account that, um, it's still active, but it's private. I had only chosen select members in my life to follow it. Um, and in June of 2020, um, I reached out in my head. So, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my Mars is in Scorpio, if that says anything. <laughs> Mine is too. <laughs> really? Okay, yeah. so you might resonate. Like yeah, I might as resonate soon as you put it. your as soon as you put your mind to something, mm-hmm. you you have that goal and you will do anything and everything to get it. Yes. Um I'm my <laughs> my three big signs are Libra, Aquarius, Libra. And so oh, I'm wow. very go go with the flow, but as soon as I have a goal, I I reach it. And Top surgery was one of them. I was just in a place where I was so deeply depressed and repressed. Mm-hmm. And I I I wanted better. I wanted my I wanted better for myself. Um so yeah, I reached out to a surgeon who got me in. That was June, end of June, and got me in for August. Well, wow, that's and pretty quick. I, I, it was very quick and especially during COVID, I feel yeah. I I'm that's something um I'm forever grateful for. And then on top of that, I I I my family was not supportive mm. and I decided to like keep it secret within started it with my um interpreting classmates and then I changed my pronouns, changed my name, mm-hmm. and then um started the Instagram account and shared with people 
I'm going to have top surgery, shared my story a little bit, did a GoFundMe and community showed the fuck up for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Within a month, they raised pretty much the entire cost of my surgery, travel, aftercare. Yeah. Um, Without community, you know, without community, it would have not been, I would have not been able to have that. Um, I wasn't going Mm -hmm. through my insurance. I was under my parents' insurance at that time. Mm -hmm. And I was too afraid to have anything covered. So I wanted to go out of pocket. It was safer for me. So it was, it was community who, who did that. And, um, despite the fact that like, I didn't have a supportive partner at the time, I wasn't really in a safe environment. Um, I, my family wasn't supportive. I do recognize I had so much that was really supportive um, and loving for me. And after that, I realized like, I don't, like there is a way for me to get out. It just kind of depends how, um, how long and when um, mm-hmm. and how I can get out of this situation. So since top surgery, I, that was my plan to get out of Ohio, get out of my relationship, mm-hmm. um, get away from the people who were the most um, abusive for me at the time. Right. And wow, that's amazing that you chose to do that for yourself. Even thank like you. through all of that. Thank you. It was one of it was definitely the first time I really loved myself and <laughs> chose myself. Mm-hmm. Wow. What was it like to have a care team? Because I for my top surgery, I I hate asking for help and I'm so I'm like having a lot of trouble <laughs> with vulnerability. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that as if that's new. I've had that my whole <laughs> life. But um how and I was looking through the photos on your Instagram and you so like, you know, you shared uh, some pictures that took me aback in some ways because I was like, wow, like they're letting people take care of them. But you didn't even really know these people that well. So how was that? You are asking someone who also has a hard time <laughs> accepting and asking for help. And that was a really big challenge. That was a very humbling experience for me. Um, I also struggled to accept help so much that the day after my surgery, um, I insisted on washing dishes. Mm. Um, wow. <laughs> and my care team had to sit me down and <laughs> yeah. tell me, tell me to lay down. Yeah. Um, that, that care team was, was so generous. They welcomed their home to me. We had talked a few times virtually, but had never met in person. They were also part of my um, extended deaf community and ASL community. And so also throughout my first few weeks of recovering, I was signing um, with very limited space because I was still healing. Mm. So there was also that language. um, But knowing that they were connected to um, chosen family up in the Bay, I trusted them. And they were also all... BIPOC gender expansive Mm. folks. So being able to, even though that they were strangers, being able to have a care team that either were already a care team for someone who had top surgery or had top surgery themselves, I felt that I felt so safe Mm -hmm. under their care. Um, And I wouldn't want it any other way. It was, (laughs) it definitely said something that I, would prefer strangers over people <laughs> that I had known for years and were not supportive. Right. 
Right. I mean, it, that's something too that, I mean, I also struggle with asking for help and, you know, just want to sing that chorus with everybody, <laughs> I, you know, and um, I, it, something that I forget is that my asking for help offers someone else the opportunity to help somebody, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that um, for me, you know, um, the narrowness of of white privilege and the narrowness of what that creates, I guess I could say too, is, uh, white supremacy mm-hmm. is ultimately what it we're talking about, um, is that mm-hmm. it it in and of itself inherently forces that the removal of that in in community and that like you cannot you do not ask for help and therefore you cannot be of help you know that like there's only one way to do that and you know you're talking Mm -hmm. about expanding the binary and i agree you know like that there's not only one way to do it and there's not only two ways to do it there's like a minimum of three ways you know and that that my asking for help could Mm -hmm. be an opportunity for someone else and it allows mm-hmm. for those people to not really be strangers <laughs> you exactly. know that like in that moment of saying i i would like to do this if that is oh i'm asking i'm actually asking for help by i'm taking care of myself by asking for help in this moment and i'm offering that to other people you know was very that was a moment for me as well even though i i also had top surgery in the pandemic and so I couldn't, you know, people weren't around, but like people brought things to my house and I just was like, I remember being like, I don't, I can't, I don't need this. And my partner was like, but I need help. (laughs) I need help to help you. And I was like, oh, right. Like, this isn't just about me, you know, (laughs) like it just isn't about (laughs) me. And like, kind of brings me back to the community thing. Like when you say this community, this community, like, yes, like you, that it actually means community. Like, and so much about, you know, this country and white supremacy is about breaking that possibility of community that like it must it must be this pipeline from this to this and it can only be like this and you can never change it and you're fine how you are. And if you're not, if something's wrong with you, you know, like it's, um, it's yeah, it's wild to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, we definitely live in um, a culture where we are conditioned to be very individualistic. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I resonate with a lot what you're saying. It gives us permission. Um, it gives just by our, our own vulnerability or other, another person's vulnerability gives the people around them permission to be vulnerable mm-hmm. and asking yeah. for help can be vulnerable. It is vul- very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to, it feels historical. Like when you were talking about being taken care of by other gender expansive folks. I mean, that's what happened throughout all of time and history for trans people getting Mm -hmm. medical care or anything like that. Like the, that has been historically, you know, the situation that other trans people show up for you and take care of you. Other people who've been through the same surgery, other gender expansive people, you know, as river was saying, we're a population in terms of all of, you know, LGBTQ people together, but I think there's a specificity to like the gender aspect of it mm-hmm. where people just do unquestionably go, well, you, you know what? I had help and let me pass it on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me let me pay it forward as it yeah. were. Yeah. And I mean, trans people as a population, Gabe, as you're saying, through space and time 
uh, have <laughs> been helpers in general. You know, like we have had <laughs> many roles that we decided for ourselves and throughout, you know, and I'm talking ancient history across cultures. Mm -hmm. um, but the similarity has been that we have been appreciated and it's a, a recent mm. development. And I would say white supremacy is also a recent development, <laughs> you know, and my recent is like within relativity, but not, not many of these things have existed for all of time um, that we're not appreciated. You know, that it's actually, it's a, it's a new experience as a population, as, as a people that we have in common across all of our cultural and ethnic differences uh, yeah. that we have actually been appreciated more so throughout history than not. <laughs> like, it's actually a new yeah. thing that we are not, um, that we are struggling for that. And I try to keep yeah. that in mind, too, that it's not uh, permanent, you know. Or that it's it's not in all, it's like very Western centric. I also would add just like the pay it forward. I love, I love the phrase paying it forward because by paying it forward, it is both healing generational trauma, but then also with the gender journey and gender um, experience, not only the person who is experiencing that moment for themselves is potentially feeling euphoria, the people who are surrounding them, there's potential for them to also feel euphoria. And I say that because I have been the person on either side now. Mm -hmm. I have been the person who was experiencing top surgery or experiencing medical transition and have also been the person who was a care team or a support system for someone who was going through that. And by just watching someone else go through that and feel that euphoric moment for themselves or just that time where they are discovering that this is this is who they are. Um, I feel like I'm connecting with them and I'm connecting with myself and I'm connecting with the siblings that I've always wanted in my life. Mm -hmm. And that's euphoric for me, um, mm -hmm. being able to see someone else go through that same thing. Yeah. Oh, I'm smiling like a doofus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm just thinking about Joni Mitchell's both sides now, you know, it's like, that's the, that, and, yeah. and that's, you know, like a binary, but, but, there is that th the third experience, which is like the un indescribable thing that you're talking about. Like I've mm -hmm. I've been I've been both people in this, and it's not a one to one. Like I don't like it, you you you. We can pay these things to each other, but it's like you know the the people that were there to guide you through who had been through it before. You can't give them that ex that one to one experience. It just does it. It can't be that way, and I feel like it's on. And there are experiences in life outside of uh, transition that are like this, but um, I do love that it is specific to this because there are people who did that for me and then I got to be there for the people who, you know, like the specific experiences with people who were like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do that. And I'm like, okay, sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> Cause like the people that the, the way that I was able to understand myself as trans was through the people who were like, this is what I did and this is what I liked. And then I said, well, I'm not mm -hmm. going to do this. And they're like, cool. <laughs> you know, yeah, like right. I needed that space to say yes, to say no, to be black and white. And it was the people who welcomed that and didn't, mm -hmm. you know, comment on that, that allowed me and who didn't push me 
you know mm-hmm. um i don't know why I, I just got very specific about myself but <laughs> no i mean but, thank you for sharing <laughs> yeah I, thanks for letting me <laughs> this is a, this is a conversation it's that's not right an interview. yeah this is not yeah it's 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 a little bit of both and then a third thing that we don't understand yet <laughs> i also think like it, it it makes sense that you made that connection to what maze was saying because you know you uh, made all of these decisions for yourself. You were saying that this was the first time that you did something purely for yourself. Mm-hmm. And that is something where I think we want to get so enthusiastic mm-hmm. and excited about thinking someone is trans that we want to be like, here's all yeah, the things. Totally. Oh, you're even thinking about this? I don't know. And that spooks people. Right. And yeah, totally. uh, in some cases. And also like you can't, tell someone what they are, they have to come to that conclusion. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of funny. I've noticed, like, I remember before I came out, I had an ex who was uh, transitioning. And uh, to me, it felt like the, he was doing everything so fast. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, this is happening so fast. Like, you you voiced this to me. And then within a month, you have a top surgery date. But I – and I remember thinking that at the time. But, like, now I'm like, how this was culmination of years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This was culmination of this person's whole life. It was not actually fast. Right. Yeah. It's it only seems fast because it's not you. <laughs> you know, it's right, like exactly. or or me. You know, it's like I, I don't I'm not making this like a, a gabe thing. It's like, right, yeah, it only it only seems fast because I'm on the outside of it. You know, it's like absolutely it took, you know, three three months and thirty-four years or whatever, you know, it's like mm-hmm. yeah, it took the whole time. And thirty-four years. I love <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> No, yeah, I, I I relate to what your ex had experienced because once I decided, that also kind of happened for me where I publicly made decisions very, very quickly, but it was a culmination. Um, I mean, I know the exact moment in time when I was a kid where I knew I didn't have the language. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I had the language, things may have been different for me, but I didn't have the language and I didn't have the environment to support that. Um, But I knew without the language, I still knew something was up. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like something's up and I'll check, I'll check back in, in another 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Same. (laughs) (laughs) But I, yeah. um, I think the, the best gift that I have ever been given that have, I feel very fortunate that I've been also able to like share if that's, someone if whoever is receiving it wants to accept is the conversation um about the experience with transitioning and um what that is like because one of the biggest pieces of advice that I got was the conversation the topic about grief Mm. um with my transition both with medical transition um top surgery um being on tea and I didn't understand it until I was in it. And that when I was in it, I was also able to gift that to someone else. And mm. anytime someone asks me about um, what they should expect or what they could expect, not that they would have the same experience as me, I always make sure to bring up the, the topic of grief and that that is something to consider and that we don't always think about because you know, because of that culmination, our life culmination of wanting, wanting this and like needing something different for ourselves, there is still an aspect of grief that um, it feels like almost um, a postpartum version 
of ourselves. Mm. <laughs> and that's how someone had explained it to me. And um, I shared it with someone else. And we we had a very candid conversation about how that was like one of the first times we got to openly talk about the sadness, the sadness and loss about it too. There mm. isn't just um, euphoria. Uh, there, mm-hmm. there is still, you know, it's, it's something you are, you've only known a certain version of you this entire time. And you are looking forward to knowing this version that you've craved for your entire life, but you just haven't met them yet. Um, mm-hmm. And when I finally got to like meet myself physically, that felt so good, but I did lose something. And as an adoptee, <laughs> I resonated with that. I, that there was so there were so many parallels to that um, because I did lose that primal aspect of myself, something that I was born with, even though it wasn't necessarily something that is a part of me anymore. Yeah, I really resonate with that. Like Gabe and I had an episode a couple back that was just us where we ta- I I talked about the grief that I had, and it was not something that. Um, I necessarily spoke to anybody with beforehand, but in that moment, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is, this is happening, you know, like this is happening. And mm-hmm. I don't think it means anything other than it's happening. And I didn't, you know, like I didn't interpret it as, oh, I made a mistake. You know, it was like a natural part. Like you're saying, like you saying postpartum is like, oh my God, yes, I really relate to that because mm-hmm. it's like, it's this this person I I thought I was trying to be and at sometimes was mm-hmm. and also it's how people have seen me and and she lives somewhere mm-hmm. you know like she definitely exists at, on some plane yeah. you know but it's like and at the same time you're like doing this thing that you want quote unquote you know like and, and but there is just naturally a process of, of grieving something, even if you don't know what that is. And, and I just like, am like, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything other than it is. That's it. You know, I think people confuse, they confuse grief with regret. Yes. So, you know, even when a, a mother has a child and their identity goes from singular person to mom mm-hmm. and, that they doesn't mean they regret their child, but they are allowed to grieve who they were. But if they say that, people go, ah, you regret it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's similar with um, transness where it's like, you know, you you must regret it then. And it's like, right. no, <laughs> yeah. I don't. Mm-hmm. But I do feel, and it comes up in the funniest ways. I saw a picture on Instagram yesterday of Nicole Kidman, like in Eyes Wide Shut. And she's like getting dressed and she's putting on a dress and heels. And I was like, oh, I won't do that again. What? Who gives a shit? But like I had like a weird, you know what I mean? Like, and maybe Mm -hmm. I will in the future. I don't know. But like it's just a funny, like it hits in these funny ways. But then the rest of the time I'm like happy and like living my, you know, life the way I am. It's just this thing that I have as a trans guy where I remember doing these almost like muscle memory, body motions, zipping yeah. a dress, putting on heels, like this, these motions of my body that I'm used to that are different now. Yeah. And like, that's okay. If you are a mom and you're used to waking up every morning and making yourself a little cup of coffee and sitting down, and now all of a sudden you don't have that routine, that's weird. We're mm-hmm. allowed to say that that's weird. Yeah. 
<laughs> there is like even, I mean, even that is just so binary, you know, like saying mm-hmm. that we can't grieve or if we do grieve, that is regret. Um, that mm-hmm. that hit home so much the way that you phrased that so beautifully. Um, because it's not, it's not that they are not this, <laughs> yeah. they are not synonyms of each other. Even in the right, dictionary, no. they're not synonyms. They, yeah, I was just gonna say, May, it's like they. There's a reason they have different words. Right. Like, right. If it was the same thing, I mean, I also know English is like very silly and that it has multiple <laughs> words for the same thing. But like, they're very, very, very different words. Yeah. I mean, we could get into the etymology of them and all those things. Like, but you know, and just to my experience is that the grief did not have, um, you know, like. Gabe, I appreciate you know the the thing that the the allegory or whatever that you're making with the specificity of postpartum depression. But my grief did not have a specific point. It mm-hmm. did not ha- it did not point at anything. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, well, I was this and now I'm this and that's what I'm grieving. It was like I just was quite literally experiencing grief. Right. Like, I just felt that way, you know, like, and so I just want to offer that to people, too, that like, because the the specificity of it, I think, is where people want to get in from the outside, want to get into the regret thing and that, oh, well, it must be this. Mm-hmm. And it's like grief is like the ocean. It doesn't it, it changes over time. It mm-hmm. doesn't really go away. It is always present. You know, it's like it is it is a part of me like the ocean is a part of me you know it's like i am a part of the ocean in that the ocean is a part of me like it is all we've all been in this at in some form for the whole Mm -hmm. time so it makes sense to go through something like this but i also just want to say that like often similar to the regret thing like people you know cis people often think like we're very like selfish and self-centered and i don't deny that this is a self-centered thing to do but it is perhaps the first loving thing that we as people could do for ourselves and it is yeah in my experience the beginning of allowing the love that i have had and and can have for other people to flourish and Mm -hmm. grow because i could not access it before in the way that i can now that like this just isn't an issue for me anymore it just mm-hmm. isn't a it's just not a thing you know and i get to have love for that person that i also have grieved and 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 welcome her back when she wants to come back and have a conversation because she does yeah but like it's not it's i'm not like bolting the doors and i'm also not shutting myself in anymore mm-hmm. you know like i am in my own space and there's like light and air in mm-hmm. there and i could not have that without I don't think the grief that you were talking about, Maze. Yeah, mm-hmm. I really loved that you emphasized um, how grief doesn't go away, River, because I think that's something that is a is a good reminder for all of us to have. Um, that mm-hmm. that should not be an expectation that oh we're going to grieve for some time, but eventually we'll <laughs> yeah. no longer grieve. We're always going to grieve, um, and even though the joy might actually exceed so much more. Um, mm-hmm. grief will come and go, just like you said. And I yeah. love, I love how you, re- um, how you compared it to water, because water is so mm-hmm. fluid. Yeah, mm. and it's water is like it's it's also a, a cleansing thing. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's not, it's dangerous. You know, like yeah. the ocean is not my friend, but <laughs> because I respect it. But it's also like I can 
I can be in relationship with it. Yeah. And like, uh, you know, my friend was saying, you're, you're going through this with such clear eyes. And sometimes those clear eyes have tears in them. And I'm like, <sighs> yeah, because I don't think things can be clear without that process. Uh, I don't think that you, you can't, you, I at least cannot be clear when everything's inside. Yeah. <laughs> you uh, know, when it's just, when it's all, when, when I'm full of my crap, <laughs> like I can't, nothing can be clear. So it has to be like washed out often, yeah. you know? And, wow. and like you were saying, May is like, I think, you know, we as humans, we, we sometimes create specific containers for grief as a collective that mm -hmm. I think are important. But I think sometimes that becomes, especially in, the, you know, like a, a white supremacist uh, society, it's like we're going to dictate to you what your grief is and right. it, pro it shouldn't happen at all. And it's like, I think, you know, where where we are as humanity on many fronts right now mm -hmm. is a lack of grief and a lack of uh, ability to be in grief and process it and allow for, like you're saying, Maze, like joy and grief can be synonymous. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. they can exist in this, in this, in the same time, mm -hmm. you know, um, but we feel like they can't and, and that it must mean something and it doesn't mean anything. It just is, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like going back to the water and the grief and I, I how you said, it kind of, it, it, it washes it away. Um, I, I love that. I love that analogy. And I really love that water is also kind of a sourced back to our roots. Um, mm -hmm. And something that water has always been so important for me in my life, particularly with um, my own cultural identity. Um, so my birth Chinese name, the translation of it means remember your origin. And it comes mm. from a famous quote in China. Um, and we, we discovered, I discovered recently that my birth parents gave it to me wow. because the orphanage would not give me such a um, distinct name like this, but mm. the, it comes from a quote in China and the full translation of the quote is drink water and remember the origins of the water. And so I actually have a oh tattoo gosh. with my, oh, with wow. my name on it. But, um, I, I always think of that, my name, um, which also helps me think of where I come from, literally, and because that's, <laughs> that's what it means. But I always find myself, particularly at my birth, like around my birthday month, to be next to a source of water, because mm. um, the water always brings me back home. It brings me back to where my roots were. Mm. But also being next to the roots that I no longer am attached to. I don't have any I don't I don't have any direct connection to my birth family or my birth parents. There is so much grief that I grew yeah. up with. Yeah. And um now with with your addition to like letting it wash away, I really love that mm -hmm. that um <laughs> that analogy. Wow. I love that. That's really beautiful. That's the tattoo on your arm. It's the tattoo on my left shoulder. So it's a tree. Um, I helped design it. It's the combination of my birth city tree. It's a ginkgo and a willow tree. And wow. I asked the tattoo artist to combine the two. I don't think it actually exists, like the combination of a ginkgo and a willow. If it does, someone please send me a picture. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And then on the trunk of the tree, I wrote in my own handwriting my, the Chinese characters of my name. Mm. And oh. so the Chinese characters of my name, that is the second half of the quote, which means remember your origin. That's and so wow. um, with the tree and remembering your roots, I wanted it to be a part of the tree. Maze, thank you so much for being our guest this week. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, and and uh, you know, it sounds trite to be like, where can people find you? <laughs> they can find me be on like, Instagram. In the winds, you know? <laughs> in, the wit, uh, in the water, you know. Yeah, that's right. Holding a guinea pig, most likely hiking. Actually, yeah, definitely California. <laughs> yeah, definitely California. <laughs> Either one of the big three cities, but no, people can um, reach me on my Instagram. Hi there, I'm Maze and connect with me there. I love connecting with people who have similar lived experiences and stories that um, that also has helped me and given me permission to find joy in in my own experiences, too. Thank you so much. Thank you both for having me and and sharing both of your stories. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Thanks for listening. You can email us at thenewguyspodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at thenewguyspod. This podcast is edited and produced by Logan Castrodali, music by Atlas Bishop, and art by Maya Scarpa. Thank you. Thank you.